Well, good morning. It's good to be together. I'm Chris Deneen and one of the assistant pastors here at Mercy. And I invite you to take your bulletin or if you brought a Bible, open your Bible to the book of Isaiah, where we're going to be reading a lengthy passage this morning, beginning in chapter 8, verse 11, and going all the way through chapter 9, verse 7. In this Advent season, we've been shining the spotlight on the prophetic word through Isaiah, and it's appropriate because Advent means coming, and therefore, we're not merely looking back to what God has done in the past, but also looking at what He's doing in the present and what He's promised to do and will do in the future. And in the 8th century B.C., Isaiah recalls what God is, has done, is doing, and promises to do in their future. And it's, it's kind of like a fruit basket turnover at Christmas time, a, a fruit cake of sorts. Looks good, but maybe it doesn't taste great. I don't know. What God reveals that He's doing is both terrible and it's terrific. Terrible because judgment and destruction are coming, and deservedly so because of the people's continued unfaithfulness and rebellion, but it's terrific in that after judgment, God is going to bring redemption and renewal. However, the reality of God's wonderful plan is often that His faithful people are called to walk through and suffer through terrible things before they're able to experience the terrific things that He has in store for them. The present time of our passage is one of chaos, disorder, division, fear, rebellion, anxiety, and uncertainty. Perhaps some of you can relate. The glory days of the nation of Israel are gone. Political leaders are corrupt. Spiritual leaders are wicked. Prophets are false. The people are divided among themselves, and everyone's unfaithful to the Lord. Furthermore, an invasion by the dreaded Assyrian army is imminent, and these are the people that wrote the book on terrorism. And they figured if they could punish their enemies hard enough, they may not have to fight the next war. People would just give up. But God calls His people to respond to these times with repentance and with faith. Repentance from their wicked ways and faith in His promised coming Messiah, the child who would be given to us. So as we look at this gift of God and the Son to be given, I want you to notice three things this morning. The people in a gathered gloom, the Son's guaranteed glory, and the Son's growing government that we might see, hear, respond to the Word of God. Let's pray together. Merciful God, your faithfulness to your covenant frees us to live together in the security of your power and love. Amid all the changing words of this generation, speak now your eternal Word that does not change. Then may we respond to your gracious promises by living in obedience to your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you please stand as you're able for the reading of God's holy word. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. 
and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble upon it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it's because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Christmas is quickly approaching, and with all of it, the wonderful things that we love, the sights and the sounds, friends and family, goodies and gifts, especially those that come as a surprise. I love surprises. Those are the things that make great memories. You know those special gifts that can appear sometimes in your life? You know, when you open up that present and with a shocked but polite manner, Oh, wow, um, thanks? Like when I was in third grade, 
And everyone around me got matchbox cars and slinkies and shrinky dinks and action figures. But my good friend Jim Warren Gibson, he gave me a pair of leather gloves. I confess, I cried. It was sad. Everybody was playing. And I thought, what do I do with these gloves? Like when I was a teenager and I bought my dad this bright, shiny, North Carolina blue skinny tie. So proud of that. And it hung unused in his closet for decades. Or when my grandmother, she got me this huge, heavy present that I was convinced was a desktop computer. And in 1988, that was going to be some gift, and I was so excited to open it. And so when I did, it was a big box of Samsonite luggage. It's quite disappointed. It's certainly something I did not ask for, didn't think I needed or didn't want, It certainly wasn't on my Christmas list that year. Little did I know how useful it would become to me, how dear it would be, as it followed me around on four different continents before I lovingly retired it. The gift was given before I wanted or thought or understood that I needed it. And our passage this morning is speaking of just such a gift as that. God's gift of His Son, 800 years before He's given. A gift that wasn't looked for by many and certainly wasn't on the wish list of most. But it was the perfect gift at the perfect time to perfectly meet the need of God's weary and broken and gloomy people. So first I want us to look at the people who are in a gathered gloom. And this is that breadth of chapter 8. And it's really difficult for us to hear, I know, right out of the gate, particularly when you've come to hear a wonderful, feel-good Christmas message the week before Christmas, and you can all go out and spread holiday Christmas cheer together, right? That's what you came for. Wait for it. It's coming. In my life, I've learned through many experiences that good news is only good when I understand the reality of my bad situation when the good news comes to me. Maybe you've experienced the same. Certainly, there are people in your world right now that could use this good news that we're going to hear today. After all, the blessed warmth of a fire is only truly understood when you've spent time in the cold. A small flashlight may be insignificant at noon, but when the lights go out and it's pitch dark in your house at night, it lights up the whole room. We see that there is a gathered gloom of anguish and despair that's descended upon God's people. Oh, sure, they're worried about the invading army, the economic woes, the descending chaos of life and culture during their day, but it's the Lord who is allowing this gloom to come upon them in judgment. Verses 11 through 22 show us that God is a sanctuary and a snare. We learn that this is gathered covenant people, what we call the visible church, it's made up of the, both the believing and the unbelieving people in the culture, known as the remnant and the hardened. And further, we see that these two intermingled people have distinctly different characteristics of daily life, as well as what they put their faith in. The remnant is used uh, in many places in Scripture uh, in the gathered family of God for those who truly believe the Word of God and put it into practice. They look to Him alone 
and by grace seek to follow him in obedience day by day. And so within the context of Old Testament Israel, the term remnant intrinsically means it's a minority of the people. Those cutting across the grain of contemporary popular opinion in order to remain faithful to the Lord. And the hardened, therefore, are the remainder and majority of the people, as the text refers. They fear all the circumstances that surround them, but refuse to fear the Lord. They look to mediums and necromancers for guidance instead of looking to the Lord and His Word. They're a people who have no dawn, no spiritual understanding or enlightenment that comes by God's Spirit. They're passing through, the text says. This is a picture of restless, fidgety, and a fickle character. And the Hebrew word abar here, uh, it's also the root word used in Exodus 12 when God passes over every household in Egypt that has the blood of the lamb put, put over it to pass over with mercy and justice, not bringing death and judgment. But here, we see it's used as a counter. It's an active disobedience to the Lord and His mercy, a rejection of the Lord's grace, this passing through. Indeed, that's the restless stirring. That's the biblical image of chaos. It swirls and swirls and never goes still. A restless people. When they should live securely in the place of His mercy and redemption, the hardened are those who are just passing through, greatly distressed and hungry. And being unfulfilled, they turn their anger towards the Lord, enraged at Him for their situation in life, and yet not turning to Him, to His freely offered gift and remedy. They speak contemptuously against their leaders and against their God. They look with blame towards heaven when hope is offered, and they look for hope on earth when there is nothing to be found of any comfort or mercy. Only a gathering and deepening distress, darkness, anguish, and gloom. The destiny of those who do not and will not turn to the Lord is utter darkness and destruction. The Lord of light and life and joy has become a snare to them in their unwillingness to repent and believe. The promise of God in a given royal son has been denied and rejected, a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This is the very passage the apostle Peter took up in the New Testament to explain the hardened people in his day and time. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. The hardened are those who do not trust the Son, Jesus Christ, but instead attempt to live in the gathered gloom of life without Him. They may show lip service, but there's no life service to be found in relationship with Him. If there's a hardened heart here today, you don't have to live in gloom. You don't have to stay there anymore. There is an answer. There is a light. There is life. There's hope. There's joy. And His name is Jesus, my friends. God has given the gift of His Son who dispels gloom and night 
and gives light and life. Turn from your fears and your failures as well as your own efforts to try to fix them and turn to God Himself. You're caught in the very snare He set out to catch you in so that He might show you His grace and His mercy and His love and His light. The only way out is to turn to Him. And in fact, that's the very reason He caught you in the first place. So that He could show you the end and hopelessness of your own efforts. And you would turn to Him with joy and salvation. That's what the hardened must do if they're to become part of the remnant. And so who are the remnant in Isaiah's passage here? What are the characteristics of their faithfulness? And let's remember the remnant of both the Old Testament and the New Testament live by the same faith in the Lord. For the remnant, the Lord is a sanctuary, not a snare anymore. He's a safe haven to whom you can run in times of trouble. Your eyes aren't on the circumstances surrounding you, but rather on the Lord who calls you and equips you and empowers you to walk through your circumstances. Your fear is in the Lord, not on what may or may not occur in the flow of your daily life. You wait for the Lord patiently, even when sometimes it seems as if His face is hidden from you. You hide your faith and your life in the Word of the Lord. You put it in your heart and you turn to it for guidance and direction and truth. So when other people chirp and mutter, as the text says, they're spitting lies that they've learned from unholy spirits and, un and deceptive ghosts, you look in His Word for truth and you walk in it. And yet for all these things, faithful remnant, you too suffer in the present time so often right alongside the hardened. While you don't face the Lord's condemnation, you're not immune to the corporate gloom of hardship and human suffering and struggle. Is this not your experience? It sure is mine. Your hope is in the Lord because you understand and live in the reality that only He can see you through the light to a new day. And even as Isaiah, you stand by your life and faith, and you say to a watching world around you, I'm assigned in this culture for the Lord of hosts. I and my family will be an example of what it means to live in faithfulness to the Son that is given. And the Lord blesses. And the Lord keeps you in the sanctuary of His presence. Having brought you out of the gathered gloom of the people and into the Son's guaranteed glory. You see why chapter 8 is so important to really look at first and include as an ongoing story in chapter 9? The Son's guaranteed glory is all the more glorious as a result of understanding the gloom that has gathered around us and that God has lifted and is lifting us up through because of Jesus Christ. Despite the circumstances, the situation around you, your own sin, your own weakness, your inadequacies, there is a complete reversal of fortune for you and for me in Christ. And Isaiah in his day looks down the barrel of gloom and destruction and despair and speaks of the day of salvation as if it has already come to pass. That's what it means to live by faith, my dear friends. Living today Believing what God has promised to do and having your life show 
the faith that it's already happened. It's a reality in your life and in mine. And people take note of that. That's countercultural. The Old Testament faithful were looking to the first advent of Jesus Christ and so lived in faithful expectation of the coming Son. You're looking forward to Jesus' second coming and His second advent when He promises to put away all that gloom and darkness and death remaining in this world. So you live today trusting that that day is coming for sure because He's given you a foretaste, a little taste just here and now, a very real experience that you can live in faithful anticipation of His coming at any moment. And would you just look at the guarantee of what He's done for you in verses 1 through 5. In verse 1, we see a glorious restoration as promised and delivered. I mean, it's guaranteed. Zebulun and Naphtali are mentioned. Maybe if I brought out a map like I do in my classes, uh, I could show you where it is and you might still not know where to look. They're the northernmost tribes of Israel and therefore the first to be humbled and crushed by the Assyrian army when they come through in 722 B.C. But they were also the first to experience the restorative ministry of Jesus Christ as He grew up in that same region called Galilee. Don't wait for the Lord to humble you, friends. Rather, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Today is the day of glory and exaltation for the mighty power and glory of God has extended His nail-pierced hands to pick you up, clean you off, and place you at His side. And in verse 2, there's not merely restoration. Verse 2, there's light shining on those who have only known darkness And it's invading light, a dawn of understanding from the Lord, the giver of light and life, Jesus Christ. His light will never allow the darkness to overcome you or overwhelm you. And in fact, I believe the Scripture shows Him putting a spotlight on you and me as His people so that we can see what's around us and that we could also be seen by those around us to His glory. In verse 3, there's an abundant an unbelievable joy guaranteed. The harvest that God brings through Jesus provides an abundance of joy. Do you remember what it's like to be joyful? Do you remember when you've been so full of despair and you were delivered and that joy that just flows through you? That's the type of joy we're talking about. There's plenty for all today and security for all tomorrow as opposed to the the spiritual picture here of being hungry and oppressed And stealing and grasping. Joy makes you want to give. Joy makes you want to be connected with those around you. The spoils of war that God won in a victorious landslide, they're given to His people, to you and me. It cost Him something, the death of His Son. But He gives that victory in Christ to you and to me that we might cast those gifts out to those around us. So they might know redemption and release. Instead of tasting His judgment, you get to celebrate with joy God's victory with Him and share the wealth with those around you. In Christmas time, isn't this the best time of year? The most wonderful time of the year because the people who live around you are actually willing to consider and see that joy. Let it cause you to praise His name, to stand steady 
in the face of human grief and loss. To bring a spirit of gratitude and hope into every conversation and conundrum that you face in your day. In verse 4, there's freedom guaranteed for those who look to Jesus. He takes the spiritual burden off of your back and breaks the rod that has been beating you down and oppressing you. The day of Midian that's mentioned here recalls the glorious victory of the Lord that he provided through Gideon, the judge. You know the main storyline? Do you remember from your young Bible school days? God downsized his army from 30,000 to 10,000 and then to just 300 men. And then told them to go into battle wielding torches and trumpets instead of swords. And they won a great victory to show that it is the Lord who brings freedom and release from bondage. Not you and not me. He did this to prove that he fights for his people. And he wins your freedom. And as amazing as that was in that day and time, it pales into com- in comparison to the the victory that your deliverer Jesus Christ has won on the cross in setting you free. Free from the oppression of Satan. Free from the bondage of your own sin and darkness. You're free from that conviction of rebellion and death. The chains are broken. You're hostage to sin no more. And it's guaranteed He's done it. And He allows you the freedom to walk in it. And what follows in verse 5 we see that peace is guaranteed. And that even the accoutrements of war are destroyed. The warrior's boot, garments filled with blood from himself and others are cast onto the fire. They can no longer be used to destroy the peace that Jesus brings to you. This peace is a shalom peace. A peace that extends to every aspect of your being. Mentally. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, with yourself, with your neighbor, with God. This is the guaranteed glory of the Son who was given to you and me. Restoration, light, abundance, joy, freedom, and peace. This is what He has worked for. This is what He's accomplished And this is what he applies to you and to me right here and right now by knowing him personally. And it's what you will receive in full perfection when he comes in his second advent. So wait patiently, brothers and sisters. Wait with great anticipation. For the Son's glory is guaranteed and it's shining in you and through you. And we see that the Son's government is going to be continually growing in all of that time. The growing government of Jesus Christ in all of its glory, power, and blessing is what we see in those final verses of 6 and 7. It's not the type of government that people expect. With all the political candidates and their posturing for positions of power, it's no wonder that people have a wrong impression of Jesus and His claim to rule over their lives. In general, we see human rulers who promise the moon, but they can't deliver a moon pie to you and me. Corruption is uncovered, shortcomings discovered, inability and incompetence, a lack of experience may play a part. Arrogance and ego are so easily discovered and seen. 
If you look for cracks, you're going to find them. But not in Jesus. He can handle the weight of government in such a way that His people are truly benefited and blessed from His rule. You want to know what character traits He brings into leadership? We'll take a look at the text. They're in verse 6 and represented in the descriptions of His name there. He's, first of all, the wonderful counselor, meaning that His plans, His strategies, always accomplish what He intends by means that this world can't fathom. He delivers with power and wisdom for your good and mine and His glory. He's the mighty God, meaning that His power is unmatched and unapproachable. No one can stand against Him. When He goes to war, He always achieves unconditional surrender from His enemy. He conquers and restores as a true champion. He's the goat. He's also the everlasting Father. Meaning that from all eternity past into all eternity future, He is the figure of authority as Lord and Master, yes, but also He's the Master who rules with compassion and intimacy as a doting dad to you and me. He guides and loves and will never leave you and He'll never let you down. And He's the Prince of Peace meaning wherever he goes, that shalom peace, wholeness in all facets of life, flows along with him to the subjects of his kingdom. His kingdom is marked by peace. Peace with God and peace between his people. Because he is the source of peace. He unites and gives rest to his people's weary souls. He's a leader that you can live under, and live for. But what about his government? The text describes that as well in verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Don't miss the thrust of this verse. It's not merely saying that his government and peace will last forever. Of course it's going to do that. And it's great news. But it's saying... Over eternity, it will never cease to grow and expand. Time is a part of the created order, and it will cease to march on. But the government of Jesus will never stop increasing in its scope and in its reach. It keeps getting bigger and better as it extends to the end of time, the farthest reaches of heaven and earth, and the uttermost depths of your soul. It will be a government that is known for justice and righteousness. Not what you witness and experience right now. Jesus always makes the absolute right decision that will lead you home safely. Even to the point that He came to earth as a child, a son. One who entered into our mess so that He might live a perfect life of obedience. Satisfy God's holy justice and requirements of that. And then to die on the cross as payment for our sin, giving His perfect righteousness to you and to me as an exchange. The proof of God's confirmation of all these things, dear friends, is that the Christmas incarnation that we celebrate now ends with Easter resurrection. 
He's tenacious about doing this for you. The zeal of the Lord is determined to bring it about in every age and in every culture and in every heart that he ushers into his kingdom. His government is growing and expanding and there's plenty of room for you and all of those the Lord will call through you to himself, his son, Jesus Christ. To you, a son is given. What a surprise gift. Not the normal modern day expectation of a gift. For so many, the surprise gift is set aside to be forgotten in the busyness of life. To some, the surprise gift is an awkward moment of, oh, wow, thank you. For others, the surprise gift is simply denied, returned to the store, a snare to be avoided. Then there are the few, the joyful few, the remnant who accept the surprise gift by embracing Him, the sanctuary, Jesus Christ, who dispels the gathering gloom, declares His guaranteed glory, and displays His growing government in this world through you. Even though you didn't know it, didn't know you needed it, it's the one gift in the entire world that you truly want and that you truly need for every day for the rest of your life. Given to you out of love for you by God himself. Dear friends, Merry Christmas. Dear God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. Make us to be a people today that live as faithful citizens of your kingdom here on earth with joy, with purpose and confidence. May your light and life shine through us that those living in the gloom of darkness and despair would see, believe, and be transformed by Jesus Christ. And we give you all the glory. Amen.